Welcome to the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubs. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Season 3 of the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast, where we share evidence-based insights from world-leading experts to inform your practice. It's almost that time of year again, folks. The NFL is back. Well, almost back. The preseason is in full swing as teams are getting ready for the rigorous demands of an intense NFL season. On that note, I'm really excited to be welcoming Pratik Patel, the Director of Nutrition and Assistant Strength Coach for the NFL's New York Giants, to the show. In this episode, Pratik will share his circuitous route to high performance as well as his experience in leading an elite collegiate nutrition program. Pratik will also share his insights in working in the NFL, preseason fueling strategies, as well as supplementation, position-specific changes in body composition, and how the nutrition plan plan changes once the season starts. Pratik also talks about return to play and injury nutrition, strategies for players when they're eating out and on the road, as well as the biggest challenges for building player buy-in. As usual, you can find links and a podcast summary in the show notes at drbubs forward slash podcast forward slash critique. Again, for this episode, drbubs.com forward slash podcast forward slash critique. And if you're interested in more on the topic of the NFL and football, you've got a lot of content for you to circle back to. You can check out season two, episode 31, Seasonal Changes in Body Composition in Football Players with Dr. Ross Anderson. Season 2, Episode 45 with renowned strength coach Jorge Carvajal on training philosophy, building better athletes, and coaching burnout. Also got Season 3, Episode 17 with Dr. Eric Trexler on fat-free mass index and key micronutrients in pro football players. And of course, all the way back to Season 1, Episode 40 with Strength coach, sprint coach, Derek Hansen on building speed and sprinting in the NFL. Terrific. Well, this episode is sponsored by my new book, Peak, the new science of athletic performance that is revolutionizing sports. Excited to announce we recently hit the bestseller lists in Canada, the US and the UK on Amazon in the sports medicine, sports training and physical medicine and rehab categories. So thanks to everyone for supporting and you can... Check out all the expert blurbs and more insights at athleteevolution.org. That's athleteevolution.org. And please keep sharing your feedback on social media using the hashtag GoPeak. Awesome, this episode is also sponsored by our good friends at Totem Sport. Totem Sport is the world's only 100% natural supplement. The only sport drink supplement that contains all 78 naturally occurring minerals and trace elements. The research on ocean mineral water is ramping up, a recent study highlighting its major promise as the optimal rehydrating strategy over spring water and other sports drinks. Totem Sport is the evolution of hydration, the world's only 100% natural sport drink, tested and approved by Informed Sport and Informed Choice. You can use the promo code BUBS10, B-U-B-B-S-10 at checkout and save 10% at totemsport.com and defy the norm. All right, let's do this. Season three, episode number 28. Enjoy. 
Pratik, thanks so much for carving out some time today. Yeah, great. Uh, no problem, and just really excited to get a chance to share some wisdom and some of my experiences with you and your listeners. Fantastic. Well, listen, before we dive into talking about the NFL and preparation, in particular from a fueling and nutrition standpoint, you know, maybe you can give listeners a little bit more about your background and how you got into the field. Yeah, you know, as a kid, like many people, played a lot of sports growing up, and you know, unfortunately, like many uh, current American youth, you know, went through a period of uh, pretty sedentary behaviors. You know, picked up the, the video game controllers and put down the, the uh, football, and basketball, and whatnot. So, for a good chunk of adolescence, you know, went through this period of weight gain, and it was just something that uh, I never really thought about. And you know, transitioning into high school, which is really uh, pretty serious time in terms of development socially and whatnot for sure uh, i had experienced some family members that have gone through some health problems you know uncles had a stroke grandparents going through their own issues figured that you know i don't necessarily want to go along the same line so i'm like oh i gotta make a decision i gotta make a change and it has to come from me so you know i'm like all right let me learn a little bit more about nutrition and exercise because you know playing sports was something that i was missing you know, i wanted to get back to that but I obviously wasn't in the right shape so did what a lot of people do, you know, you pick up the magazines, try to read the most recent articles. And yep. unfortunately, my first my first foray into nutrition and exercise was picking up Flex magazine with all the bodybuilders on it and thinking like, yeah, I want to look like that. There you go. So for you know a couple of years, kind of got myself in shape doing everything wrong nutritionally. But, you know, I was the only one who was trying to teach it to myself, ended up you know getting back in shape, was able to finish out high school playing track and football and just really started you know, falling in love with this whole concept of nutrition and exercise and what it can do for, you know, my body and other people's bodies. I didn't start out studying that at college. You know, I went to Kansas State and because I excelled in math and science, I was a mechanical engineering major. Come my first year at Kansas State, still didn't really understand what a mechanical engineer was. So I wasn't doing very well in the classes. And (laughs) a roommate of mine had mentioned that you know, you, you really like nutrition and exercise. I'm in this program, which is setting me up to go into PT school. Maybe you look at it. So I'm like, all right, talk to some advisors. You know, they had a nutrition and exercise dual major, which is great, but it was 155 credit hours. I was already down a year. I'm like, I can't do that. So the advisors were like, why don't you go one way or the other? So I'm like, you know, I really gravitate more towards nutrition. than let me see what this is all about. So the advisors mentioned that, you know, you could become a registered dietitian if you go through this path of finishing your core classes try to sit for the exam, but first you've got to match with an internship. I'm like, okay, I could do that. So took first year classes in nutrition, loved it. I was hooked, you know, spent the rest of the four years after that, finishing up the degree, uh, first go around trying to apply to dietetic internships. I did not match. And the reason was I only applied to one internship and it's a very competitive. They only only take about 50% of the students that apply anyway. Yeah. So went back to the drawing board, you know, worked a little bit back home and then reapplied, got in, fortunately. And during my rotation, because these internships are pretty much clinical community and food service, there's not a lot of sports nutrition. And I knew I wanted to do something in an athletic setting. So coming out of college and getting into this program, I figured my goal in life was to be a personal trainer and a dietitian and work in a gym setting, you know, kind of doing some of the stuff that helped me you know, get back into shape because I wanted other people to feel the same. Absolutely. So luckily, yeah, luckily during my rotation, I got a chance to work out in Texas for an elective rotation and work with the dietitian who's working with the Texans 
with the Rice University and kind of got my first foray into what a sports dietitian does with the team. And it was a little bit overwhelming, but I thought this is so cool, but it was very daunting to me. And she had mentioned that, you know, if you're going back to Kansas, seek out, you know, some sports dietitians that are in the area, uh, Brady Bird, who was at KU at the time, and then there's a dietitian working with Chiefs and the Royals, they might be able to give you some work experience. I'm like, okay. So I went back to Kansas, did just that, had the opportunity to work a little bit with both of them, not anything in depth, but really getting a chance to see what sports nutrition was like at the university collegiate level. Many people that I talked to in the field said that it was really going to explode in the U.S. starting at the collegiate level and hopefully make its way into the other areas of professional settings and performance training settings and, you know, into the Olympics and to the military, which actually has come to fruition, didn't know it back then. And they're like, all right, well, if you can't find a job as a sports dietitian, because not many collegiate teams are hiring, try to get a master's in ex-phys or uh, kinesiology. You know, maybe you can get into some strength and conditioning and that way you can be more marketable. So if a team wants a, a strength and conditioning coach, but not a dietitian, but they kind of want both, you might look like a more attractive option. So I ended up going back to K-State, you know, uh, grad taught because I couldn't afford to pay it out of pocket for sure like a lot of students and got into research really loved that getting a chance to do an exercise intervention study get a chance to coach classes you know learn about weightlifting the ability to teach that to a group setting and have the opportunity to work with the men's basketball team for a couple of years there which is great and that was really my my opportunity to really see what working with athletes at that level is like there's a lot of preconceived notions like oh nutrition it's so important they're going to love it right off the bat everybody's going to listen <laughs> to me and it's going to make a huge difference and i'm you know talking to the strength coach he's like all right this guy needs to gain weight this guy needs to lose weight this guy just eats like complete and utter crap go i'm like okay and having these really great conversations with these athletes you know they're really talented but then come to find out that they're just not listening to any of it it's straight to the calf to get chicken fingers it's getting the wrong things from mcdonald's and a lot of head nodding, right? Uh, it's just a lot of head nodding because, again, you're just another another face that they see. So that was a really good experience to be able to see, like, all right, well, there's more to it than just you're going to sit there, counsel them, and they're going to listen to you. That's not the case. Um, fortunately, you know, I finished my time at Kansas State, and uh, there were a lot of D1 openings around the country, which is great. You know, it was, a, it was a great growth period for collegiate sports dietetics and interviewed a few places and ended up. I was lucky to get the job at Michigan State, and it was a a program that needed some guidance. You know, it was actually more of a contracted position, so I was working full time in the department, uh, sports and cardiovascular nutrition, doing some holistic youth athlete, you know, training and coaching, doing a little bit of a adjunct teaching, helping with research projects, and also working with you know, some of the main sports in Michigan State. So that was my opportunity to kind of right. This is my first foray into actually having a full-time job and getting paid for it and seeing what college athletics was really about outside of a strength coach telling me this is what you need to do. Um, and it, it was a really good experience. And I think my time there really hardened me and really showed that, all right, well, you have to be committed to what you're going to do. You have to be able to show yourself around the athletes because if you stick to this 10, 20 hours that you're only granted, it's hard to make an impression with them because you know, they have to buy into what you're saying if they feel comfortable. And I saw that right off the bat. So if I knew if I wanted to be more successful, getting that buy-in from not only the coaches and the players from one team, I've got to do that, you know, as often as I can for the athletic trainers, for the strength and conditioning coaches, for the other sports too. So we were, we were able to do during that time is just kind of grow a program from nothing 
And the next year, bumped up to three quarter. And the next year, you know, was allowed from my bosses on the uh, sports card bachelor nutrition side to say, all right, you can put full time hours in, which is great. And there's a lot of success all the way around, you know, getting a chance to not necessarily run a program myself, but I was involved with pretty much all of what was going on with the help of, you know, a lot of students, a GA. And, you know, I was enjoying my time there, but I kind of wanted more. I wanted to take the reins of a program and at that time the administration didn't want to do it right then and there they, you know they were saying three years five mm-hmm. years i'm like well you know i don't i don't want to just take somebody's word for it because you know anything can happen they can find something else they could start their own department within athletics and hire somebody else since i was contracted so i decided you know if there's other opportunities out there i think it's time and i had been looking on the ncaa job site for opportunities for some of the dietetic interns and students that I was working with for GA ships and whatnot to just tell them like, Hey, just apply, It'll give you the opportunity to put together a resume, a cover page, and even do a phone interview or an even in-person interview. If you don't get it, big deal. You've learned and you already have that experience and you'll be better the second time. But I saw there was an opening for a director position to Oregon. It was like, well, holy cow, really? Because this was a place that I, you know, kind of admired from afar with everything that you know, Phil Knight and Chip Kelly had ended up doing and contributing back to the athletic department, being very progressive thought with sports science and technology. This is an opportunity I think I could be ready for. So I applied and was fortunate enough to get the job. And that was an incredible experience, kind of a 180 from my responsibilities at Michigan State to where it's like at Oregon. And they're like, all right, well, here's the keys to the Ferrari. Go drive it. Figure it out yourself. I'm like, all right. So overseeing an entire department, got budgets, allocations, staffing, um, trying to figure out how to strategically have staff members oversee which sport, you know, writing policies and procedures and melding it all together with the athletic medicine staff, which I worked really closely with and they're phenomenal. And then also, you know, there's a big sports science piece of it. So, you know, what does this all mean when you're dealing with all these new technologies and integration from what Chip was doing with his time there at Oregon, which they continue to do. In particular, so if we pause there for a minute and just to, pick your brain. I mean, when you were there you know, or at the collegiate level in general, you know, what were some of the things that stood out on a nutrition standpoint that you really wanted to, uh, you felt you could influence or some of the gaps that you were noticing? I think at that time, the NCA had actually started their deregulation of feeding, which happened in 2014, which is great. So, you know, quote unquote, it's the unlimited meals and snacks, which that's what people took it as, but it's actually the athletic departments can figure out what they want to provide based around what the athletes are doing participation wise. So instead of just getting bagels, nuts and fruit at fueling stations, it's like, all right, we can actually have real food options. So that's where you saw a lot of rise of increases in funding for athlete specific dining halls, fueling stations around every facility. If they don't have a fueling station, then someone's going to carve it out and put it into a locker room. So I think that's one of the biggest things that I saw was, you know, most of these athletic programs, D one programs that could, afford it, we're providing their, all of their athletes, not just the scholarship ones or football and basketball with one, if not two meals per day, plus pretty much almost unlimited access to these fueling stations. So I thought that that, that was a really important time for sports citations because from then on, you see a really big investment and commitment into athlete feeding, you know, not just at these big D1 schools, but almost at almost every single D1 school. And it's trickling down to D2 and D3, which is great because I mean, these athletes are burning thousands and thousands of calories a day. Like, it's, it's basic human need to have food, water, fluids, all that stuff. 
So I thought, you know, that was, that was a, a really important time and really important piece in the development of, you know, sports sessions at the collegiate level. Interesting. And then, you know, on the supplement front at all, if we kind of shift gears a little bit on that collegiate level around that time, were there things mm-hmm. that, again, you know, you noticed or you're able to implement or gaps that were sort of glaring for you that you felt could be uh, leveraged for your teams? Yeah. So, you know, the previous rulings were that you could provide a protein type calorie replacement supplement if it had less than 30% of the calories from protein, which and if you kind of read that, you kind of turn your head and say, well, why is it like that? But that's just what the NCAA put together because they felt that if you had specific items that whether it's a protein powder or a bar or whatnot, that was considered a supplement if you look at the back of the label and it didn't have a nutrition facts label and it had a supplement label, that it was more of a muscle building agent. And I'm like, well, if we're providing them, you know, eight ounce steaks at training table, then what, what's the harm in giving them a 25 to 30 gram uh, protein shake or whatnot. But that, and from in terms of a calorie replacement protein perspective, that's what we were kind of dealing with. But luckily, you know, the following year, I think it was either one year or two years after that, they kind of got rid of that. So where you could actually put together shakes and calorie replacement things, smoothies, whatnot with, you know, normal way instead of using the collegiate formula. And in terms of actual, individualized and tailored nutritional supplementation uh, the NCA allowed you know they did allow vitamin D they did allow multivitamin iron you know fiber vitamin C they only allowed other types of supplementation if it was guided by a physician and or it was put into an athlete's chart so you know this is kind of one of the things that we had issues with so say you have an athlete go down with a long-term injury whether it's you know a fifth metatarsal it's an ACL it's a fracture and you know that they're going to be out for a year or even like an Achilles. And we know, we know what the research says about certain things like essential amino acids, creatine, um, whey protein, you know, if your physician is pretty progressive and understands that they will be like, all right, we're going to put it in this chart and you can supplement them because they have, there's a medical nutrition need and it's backed by Mm -hmm. research. But a lot of them were like, well, you know, is this really even necessary? I don't know if, I am on board with that, or is it really even going to provide that much of a benefit? So it really was dictated by a little push and pull, you know, right? A little push and pull, and that's with anything. You got to find that common ground, and if your if your doc isn't about that, you got to compromise. But if your doc supports you in another area that you need their permission, you know, his or her permission for, then you kind of just say, "All right, you know, pick and choose your battles and fight them at a later day." Absolutely, I mean that's amazing time, isn't it? The last uh, sort of five or six years of being able to sort of take the handcuffs off, if you will, for a lot of the sport dietitians to be able to really implement the strategies they want to implement to be able to influence athlete performance, recovery, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, now that we've got these more modern-day performance teams, which we're kind of mimicking from Australia or over in Europe to where you have everybody who's a part of the athlete life and has part of athlete care, whether it's your strength conditioning coach or athletic trainers, sports psych, your sports scientists, or director of performance, your uh, registered dietitian, sports dietitian. I mean, everybody plays an integral role, and obviously the research is out there, and everybody knows the benefit of having them on the staff overseeing their specific area. And now it was, you know, a lot of people had tried to fight for the advocacy for the growth of sports dietetics, and it was coming into light, which is great because, you know, the athletes were starting to see some of the benefit of it. The coaches were happy. You know, they can see the benefit of it. You know, strength and conditioning coaches are happy because their athletes are getting bigger, faster, stronger, putting on more muscle mass, leaning out, you know, there's more tailored um, medical nutrition policies for specific injuries. So there's that, 
nice uh, work uh, in place with the uh, athletic medicine staff. Yeah, it's just rising, rising the tide across the board, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And Pratik, I, I sorry, I cut you off there around your progression. Obviously, we, we it was interesting, obviously, to, to ask you some questions around your collegiate time. But from there, you know, fill us in on, on that progression, then to the next level, and working in the in the pros and and where you're at now. Yeah, it was at the after the end of my third year, or third season with uh, Oregon, working football. Uh, you know, it was something where I, ju- I just felt that there was something missing, or I just I was ready to take the next step. You know, I hired two amazing dietitians that. Are currently still there doing great things like pretty much running the program now you know i, th- I thought it, it was time for me to make that next step so fortunately you know i caught wind of the giants were looking for a sports dietitian to hire full-time they wanted somebody with the uh, exercise physiology and strength and conditioning background so i reached out to uh, aaron woman who's a head strength coach at that time he was hired uh, from notre dame when ben mcadoo was hired as the head coach for the giants and he kind of cl- clued me in on the history of what the organization had gone through in terms of performance and nutrition and, you know, what he was looking for, for a dual role. And, uh, you know, it, it sounded like the exact perfect fit for me. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to get a chance to interview with them, obviously fortunate enough to get the job. And so, you know, now we're rolling into, uh, the third season with the team. We're kind of just finished up our first week in training camp, you know, got a player day off, but off for the players, not for the coaches. And now we're going <laughs> to nice. regroup here. We've got, you know, a string of practices. And then the following week, you know, it heads into our first preseason game. So camp really, uh, it, it's intense the first two weeks, but then it gets fun because we get a chance to see some of these young guys show their stuff in their first actual NFL game. So that's exciting for us to see. A hundred percent. And, you know, let's dive right into it here. You're in preseason, you know, preseasons are shorter now before you get into the regular season from a nutrition standpoint. You know, what's the preseason fueling strategy like? What are you trying to emphasize and, and how is it potentially different from, you know, when you get to the in-season period? Yeah, so luckily, you know, we've got a great food service staff in-house. So we do three full meals and a snack for the players, which ends up being fourth meal. And then we have all of our tailored nutritional options available to the players in the locker room and the weight room right outside their meeting rooms. So I guess the first thing we do when we get the players because they've been off for five or six weeks is kind of assess and see like what kind of shape are these guys in? Because we, you know, we hope and pray and fingers crossed that they've continued to work out and train and accumulate an appropriate amount of load and running on the field to where, you know, they come back in the same shape that they left us with offseason training. And I think we had a pretty good offseason training. Um, so for, for us, for performance staff is just seeing like, all right, all of these guys, at the appropriate weight, you know, do a little bit of body comp testing. We'll, we're fortunate enough to partner with Quest, so we'll do some sweat testing on a lot of the new players we have just to get more of an idea of, you know, is there anything that we need to kind of highlight or make note of a player? It just happens to have a really high sweat sodium rate. So basically, it's hot here in Jersey. You know, we've had days in the mid-90s, and it's humid. Nice and humid, I was going to say, yeah. humidity. And again, it's it's making sure that the players have everything they need to be ready to get through a practice, whether it's all of our pre-training fueling strategies, on-field strategies, post-training strategies, um, identifying ones that have more issues. So if they've been on the team in the past, we kind of know what their habits are. We know what their bodies do during camp, like how much their losses are fluid-wise, you know, you know how hard we need to press about the, the recovery habits. 
And then we have a roster full of guys we know nothing about. Guys that have been in the league who kind of know their own bodies, but we don't know what they do. So maybe they came back a little bit heavier, but in their mind, they know that you know they're going to lose a decent amount of fluid. They're expending more energy. So they, by the time the season starts, they're back to their optimal weight. So it's, it's kind of just taking a step back and observing and seeing like, all right, we've got breakfast ready for these guys, making sure that they're taking advantage of it. Because again, you can't force them to do anything because they're grown men, but obviously continuing to encourage them. And if they're not able to do that, all right, we'll find an alternate for you. If we need to do liquid meals, if we need to find smaller snacks to bolster throughout the day, we'll do that. Uh, I guess there's no one main strategy. It's more making sure that the guys are hydrating enough, getting proper electrolytes, eating enough calories to maintain you know, their physical output and what the workload demands are, and then taking advantage of all the recovery options that we have. And then for these new guys, individualizing it as much as possible, just, you know, right on the fly. And particularly in terms of position specific, I, I had Dr. Ross Anderson on earlier. I think it was probably last season, actually season two. And he's at McGill University, used to work in the NFL as a sports scientist and talking about body composition changes throughout the year. So curious, and I think, you know, we all assume, you know, offensive linemen or potentially D linemen are maybe the ones that were more concerned around the body composition, but maybe on the other end of the spectrum, some of the, the more skilled positions like wide receiver or cornerback, maybe there's an issue around ensuring they get enough fuel, you know, because obviously that preseason period is going to be the highest in terms of loads and whatnot. You know what? Is that things that are on your radar? Are there other nuances within that that uh, you know we might not see from the outside? Yeah, absolutely. You kind of hit it on the head when we're talking about, I guess we'll go back to the linemen, what their bodies like to tend to do. And it's this game we play because you know every player has a max weight. We just want to make sure that they don't go over it because obviously we know what the detriments are if players are gaining weight in season and we're not going through a really intense lifting program like we do in the offseason. You know, it's going to be difficult for them to constantly gain muscle mass, especially when we're traveling 10 times during the season and their stress levels are increased. And we can kind of see that because we have the opportunity to, you know, they can opt in to do some voluntary biomarker data draws. Uh, and they like to play the game where, oh, it's November, Thanksgiving coming up. You guys going to give us a five pound cushion, a 10 pound cushion? I'm like, <laughs> seriously, you want to be five to 10 pounds heavier than your optimal weight just so you can eat a little bit more on Thanksgiving. But a lot of the guys have been pretty good about just maintaining what they need to in terms of they know what their number is. They've been at it for a few years. Um, but from a, a skilled player position perspective, like your receivers and your corners and your defensive backs, yeah, they, they do a tremendous amount of running, a lot of high-speed running. They cover the most distances in practice. Uh, they have the most decelerations, you know, and that's something that we take mm-hmm. into consideration because, you know, a lot of them don't think about that equating to energy expended. They're just, they're so used to doing what they do, eating a certain way, doing their certain habits that we have to kind of continue to make it aware to them. Like, all right, you know, you're expending a tremendous amount of energy. We're monitoring your weight, your, your fluid status, all this other stuff. You know, are you staying on top of eating at the appropriate times that we have scheduled throughout the day, doing your recovery pieces. And, you know, if some of these guys aren't on top of it, they will just lose weight quickly, quickly, quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and the funny thing is in their head, they start leaning out because of how much they run. So, so they don't mind it, right? They are. <laughs> so they don't mind it. But obviously in our heads, you know, myself and 
all of our strength coaches were like, oh, do they not know how that equates to their performance on the field? And, you know, we do a little bit of other stuff, you know, some testing in the weight room, and that can obviously show, you know, you know your power output's decreasing, even though you're, you feel better, you're leaner, but that doesn't obviously make for you performing better on the field. So those are the things that we have to constantly kind of ingrain in their head. Yeah, especially and, with the long season ahead, it's a tricky one to already be pretty lean, right, in terms of that uh, recovery over the course of a season. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And, you know, right now it's it's hot, it's humid. We want to make sure that they're obviously getting enough fluids too. And, you know, a lot of them, if, if they're not taking advantage of that and they're putting out a really high workload on the field, it's like, all right, well, you know, we just fingers crossed nothing happens. And for the most part, you know, I think the guys are pretty good about doing what they need to do. But we'll, we'll continue to learn more about their habits as the season goes on. And from a testing standpoint, Pratik, is it, you know, DEXA test, BOD pod, or their you know, calipers or, you know, some collection of those that you guys are using, um, in that preseason period to assess your guys. Yeah, we, we've got a bod pod right now and we do have calipers too. So we kind of use a little mixture of both. Uh, the DEX is great. You know, we had the opportunity to use the DEXA at previous places. And again, as you know, you've got to have the appropriate space for it. It's got to be, you know, X number of meters away from the operator and each state has its own, uh, licensure laws in terms of who can operate a DEXA. Mm-hmm. So New Jersey's got very strict laws. We we even looked into this. I think it's a uh, maybe two to three years of a X-ray tech course, and you know some odd thousands of dollars to be certified to do it. So unfortunately, you know I don't know if that's in our short or long term plans. But right now, uh, most of, most of the players are pretty compliant with doing their bod pods. A lot of them have done it in college. Those that went to the combine are used to it, so they have. They know what their numbers are. You know, unfortunately, if every machine's calibrated adequately and properly in the proper room, temperature, humidity, et cetera, then, you know, we can use those numbers as guidelines too if they're coming from their college program to just gauge their changes over time. Terrific. And lastly, Pratik, here on the preseason training side of things, or fueling, so to speak, what is the, you know, from a supplement standpoint, is there anything different in preseason that you you add in that perhaps isn't done in, in season or any changes there is, is hydration. You know, you mentioned that's a big key around electrolytes. What does that look like? Yeah, I'd say it, it's very similar to what we end up doing in season, but we definitely spend more time preaching the hydration piece because of the heat and humidity. You know, once we get in season, we might ha- only have three or four games that are in warmer temperatures you know, aside if we end up going down south to either Miami or Tampa, which we actually go to Tampa this year for a game, because most of the other uh, teams we would play down south, say in Texas, they're all indoors. Mm-hmm. So we don't necessarily have to worry about the heat. Uh, but no, you know, our supplementation strategy, all of that other stuff is pretty much the exact same as what we would roll with in season. And the same thing with what we were doing in off season, so we had the opportunity again to get biomarker draws on the players that opt in. So we can constantly monitor and see if they're specifically deficient in a certain area. And we'll work with our medical staff and our docs to say, all right, you know, if, if this is not within normal limits, you know, what is the thought process? What is the dosing strategy? You know, where are we going to get the product from? We always make sure it's always third-party tested. We, and then we throw in their chart and the docs are on board with it, um, you know, after presenting the research to them. So obviously, we, you know, we're trying to follow as much as what the guidelines show. Uh, it could be beneficial, you know, vitamin D, omega-3s a variety of different probiotic type foods. Uh, if anybody presents with a specific condition, we'll obviously talk with the docs about, you know, do we need to supplement them with anything additional? 
and usually they're on board, which is great. And it's awesome to have their support too. Fantastic. And, you know, as these guys get to the in-season period, especially by the time you get to mid-season towards the end of the regular season when they're, you know, exercise-induced muscle damage is going up, you've got injuries, you've got aches and pains, you know, how does the nutrition plan change there? Are there things that you're able to, to implement, whether on the food side or the supplement side? Is it is it more in the training room? How does that all change uh, over the course of a, of a season? Yeah, I think once we get more in-season, things get a little bit more controlled because our weeks are almost identical because, you know, seeming we play on Sunday and not on a Thursday or Monday, so it all just backtracks from game day. Uh, so based on what our head coach schedules in terms of what the week looks like, you know, players uh, go through what is a typical uh, NFL week, and it's, it's different than what some teams do, but it's kind of the standard where if you play on Sunday, Monday, the team's in for some type of, you know, whether it's a lift or a light practice, Tuesday's off, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you're practicing Saturday, you might wind it down and then back to Sunday for game day. So depending on what those days look like, you know, I'll, I'll work with our head chef to figure out, all right, we're planning the meals. We know that we obviously want something to help them recover for the game from Sunday on Monday, but they're only in the building for a small amount of time. So hopefully it's it's something that's going to entice them to want to stay when they break because, you know, again, they're human. They've got lives outside of football. Yeah. Although I like to tell them that you have no life outside of football in season because this is there you go. what's going to, you know, set you up for the rest of your life. But we understand that they want to spend as much time with their families and friends and whatnot as possible. So, you know, they're trying to get out the door as soon as they, they can, whether when they get break, broken, uh, you know, Tuesday, that off day, I usually let, uh, work with our, our chef to figure out some fun stuff that he wants to try that's new that, you know, our staff and everybody in the building has the opportunity to eat as well, which is pretty awesome. I know it's not like that everywhere. So we'll kind of get some, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down from them. And if it's good, we'll implement it with the players. And then, you know, from Wednesday to Friday, obviously we've got your your higher volume workload practices. Obviously we got to get prepared and get ready for game day. So, you know, thought processes is it's, high on carbs, high in antioxidants, anti-inflammatory is trying to make sure that the guys are eating enough protein as well, which never really is that much of a problem. And then, you know, traditionally you, you might taper down based on their work volume, but then again, you know, Friday's only two days from game day. And we know that we're slowly trying to ramp up the carbohydrate intake too. You know, so the goal would be trying to hit them with upwards of eight to 12 grams per kilo, but that's not anywhere near any, what any of these guys are touching. Unfortunately, uh, and Friday, they, we break a little bit early, too, so we try to provide as much as we can from our end, but, you know, players are going to be players. They're going to do what they want to do. Uh, you know, hopefully they're making the right decisions, but a lot of the times it's, you know, pizza and wings and whatever else they can get their hands on. And now we've got Uber Eats and DoorDash and every app under the sun that can bring them, you know, McDonald's and Burger King in 20 minutes without them having to leave the couch, so... Absolutely. I was going to say, I was going to pick your brain here, Pratik. And, you know, some of the strategies, obviously, when those situations present themselves, like you said, these these players and athletes are humans. You know, what are some of the strategies you have when, let's say, you know, a player is going to, you know, have some fast food or some takeout? Are there certain themes you try to coach them up on to, to be able to, you know, offset that a little bit or certain meals is just kind of let them, let them go for it and have some fun and it's not going to matter in the long run? Or, or you know, where does that, uh, where's that line for you? Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be give and take because these guys can't just fit into this perfect box at all times. And I, I think they realize that 
we realize that sometimes they don't think we know this and they think that they, we don't know what they do when they're outside of here, but we do. And it's funny when they're like, Oh, who told you? I'm like, I know about what the O-line did last night and what they ate. Cause I saw pictures because they were sending it to me and that's why they're <laughs> 10 pounds heavier. Um, I think, you know, sometimes I'll just take it individual by individual and then just realize that we do have certain players that may have played a lot of ball that, know how to sporadically put in their favorite meals or their, you know, favorite snacks and whatnot and still be productive. But then you've got some of the younger guys who, you know, right now they're living in a hotel with all of our other players during camp. And if they get hungry late at night, you know, the easy default is just get on the app and they're going to get wing stop or they're going to get pizza. But, you know, it's, it's easier to teach the rookies from the get go about what to do instead of changing a vet with bad habits who's been in the league for eight plus years has made millions of dollars without any of your help whatsoever. And I think also taking into consideration, like what, what are these guys goals? You know, do they have specific body weight goals or body composition goals they're trying to meet and understand that, you know, just lay it out for them plain and simple. Like we want you to be here. We'll give you the resources to get there. You can deviate every now and then, which isn't a bad thing. You know, that's what humans need to do for them to feel normal, which is cool. But if this is your consistent go-to day-to-day, like you're not going to reach your goal. And if that ends up impacting their ability to perform and stay on the team, then obviously we're going to tell them that because you know, we don't want that to come as a shock because it's happened with players and teams before. You know, you've got linemen or skilled players that just gain too much weight and they look terrible and the GM's not going to have it. You know, he's trying to build the best roster that he can and it's an always evolving model. And if there's somebody better out there than a person we have on the team, it's his job to make sure that he goes and gets that player. So it's it's really just trying to take every guy's situation into consideration. Then also, what is my relationship with that player? So for a lot of our new guys, I'm kind of just getting a handle of you know who they are, how hard they work, you know what they're about, you know what their background is, and where they play college ball, where they're from, how they grew up. You know, what are their likes and dislikes? And then, you know, hopefully we've got them for more than one season or even half a season. Sometimes these guys get traded out like playing cards. I was going to say, it must be uh, challenging with a 56-man roster. You know, you get a lot of players just overall. And then, yeah, with the turnover uh, to be able to create some of those relationships, right? It is. You know, like as we were talking before, from my first year to now, I think we only have nine players on that initial 90-man roster that we had heading into training camp. And then, you know, that'll get cut in half and we're really going to carry a handful from last year over to this year. So it's just, again, just getting to know them, understanding where they come from and finding those bits and pieces like, oh, you know, I saw you uh, we were on the practice field. You looked a little tired and it was only, you know, period five of, you know, 14 or 15 or whatever. You know, what was going on? Say, oh, well, I had. I had wings last night or I had this last night and I'm like, Oh, was it good? Did you enjoy eating it? Yeah. Well, how do you feel now? I, f- I feel terrible. I'm like, does it make sense why, you know, you ate that and now you feel this way? Yeah. 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 I'm like, are you going to do that again? No, 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 no. I'm like, all right, well, all right. I've got him in the back of my mind, you know, write down his name situation. That way I can bring it up when I see him at some point later on in the day in the building say, Hey, make sure that, you know, if you have that late night craving, get your food from here instead of calling up somebody or swiping on your app to, get food delivered to you. Yeah. But the I mean, guys it's a learning have, process, isn't it? For a lot of these young guys, especially, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially for these rookies, they have money for the first time. I mean, a lot of them don't come from very much. And if they signed a decent rookie deal, whether they're a first, second, third, fourth round draft pick that, 
that signing bonus, you know, looks really good when they first get it. And also need to understand that they can't just blow it because, uh, you don't get, you only get one signing bonus per contract. It doesn't happen every single year. Um, but no, it, for the players that we've had for, you know, a couple years, and we have that relationship and they know my thought process and how I work. Like I can be a little bit harder on them and kind of push them a little bit more to be like, all right, you can't be doing this because this is what's happened in the past. You're heading down that road again. You know, obviously you don't want to see you fail. I want to do what's right for you. And obviously we want to make sure that you're going to perform at your best. And then also, you know, I think another thing that helps is just looking at some of the data we gather on these guys. You know, some of these players have gone through high school, college, eating, you know, some of the worst stuff for you. But because they're so genetically blessed at a time in their life where they're continuing to grow and get stronger, they can get away with it. And even we see this with players coming from high-level D1 programs that have very, very good sports dietitians, that have very good departments and established programs and who've been taught very well, who've had all the resources provided for them. When they get to us, they've forgotten everything. You know, it's like, oh, we've got to reteach them from square one because sometimes it's we're doing a little bit too much for them. But at the same time, if they don't, you know, grab this or take that or do this without us providing it for them or kind of holding their hand, they're not going to do it. So it's trying to find that balance, too. Yeah, it is a delicate balance these days, isn't it? I mean, it's great to be able to have these environments where we provide everything for the athletes and, and, you know, professional teams or collegiate teams can control as many meals as they can possibly can to influence these things. But, uh, you know, like you mentioned, it's that, that fine line between trying to coach and teach some of these athletes how to cook their own food and, and make some of these things as well. And, you know, that makes me think about things like injury, you know, return from injury, healing from injury, obviously NFL football, I can't imagine a more you know, brutal game. Maybe rugby's up there pretty close. So injuries are a reality in the NFL, you know, what can be, what do you guys focus on when you're kind of that return to play or trying to accelerate healing from injury, whether it's from a food standpoint or supplement standpoint, are there certain things that uh, are, are more emphasized in that period? Yeah, absolutely. And what it really boils down to is our medical staff will be the first to know pretty much everything that's going on. They're really awesome to work with because, you know, some of these things that these players have, like I've never heard or seen before, so I have no clue what's going on in their bodies. And, and I love learning from them. So if somebody sh- pops up on the injury report and it's, you know, the diagnosis that I've never seen before, I'll just go and talk to them and say, Hey, can you, can you just explain this really quickly? And they're like, all right, this is what's going on on examination. Da, 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 da. We talked to, you know, our, our ortho doc or what are the other doc and explaining, you know, what exactly is the mechanism that's going on in the body. So in my head, I'm trying to think, all right, is it, you know, is it bone? Is it, is it muscular? Is it joint? Is it a combination of a few of these things? What's the uh, what's the time frame for recovery? So in my head, I'm start spinning like, all right, this is exactly what's going on. This is how long this athlete's going to go out or be out. You know, what can they do in terms of rehab with them? What can they do with you know? We have a strength coach. This is a strength coach who does all of our uh, return to play programming. So how much is he going to end up doing in the weight room with him? And is there going to be any field work? So then I get an idea of. You know, is there a need to really cut calories or are they going under the knife? Do we need to increase or what's the rehabilitation process? That way we can tailor exactly what they need right there on the spot. You know, are they going to be going home for an extended period of time? Do we need to ship stuff to them, to their mom, to their girlfriend? Or is everything going to be done here at the facility in-house? 
So that's really step one is just what's going on with that particular player. And then figuring out, all right, this is the timeline for it. You know, this is when he's going to be doing rehabs, when they're going to be doing workouts. And, you know, if they can't be on the field with all the other players, but they're doing some extra stuff off to the side. All right. So I have an idea of what their actual energy expenditure looks like. And then try to put together a plan based around that and then go to the player and talk to him. Because the funny thing is a lot of these players who may not have gone through a significant injury, who've played you know hurt or all the way through high school through college and now that you know they're going to be going at the knife and they might not play until next year they don't think about oh i once the healing process is over and i start the rehabilitation phase i probably shouldn't be eating the same way as i did before because that's just going to be weight gain city Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things where i've had these conversations with these players they go away for their rehab five weeks they come back during camp and then we see them it's like oh lord you just ballooned up. Yeah. I've been eating the same way. I'm like, Oh, what do we just talk about? You know? Uh, so, so it's kind of just figuring out what exactly we need to do from a food standpoint. We'll individualize all their meals. I'll talk with our head chef and we'll package it together. That way they've got the appropriate, you know, servings and uh, calorie amounts. And then obviously we'll go through a tailored nutritional supplementation program based on you know, what exactly is going on in the body? Do we want to maintain muscle mass? Do we need to increase bone healing? You know, do we need to decrease inflammation? But then also getting, keeping tabs with the medical staff because say, you know, someone's going for an injection or PRP injection, they don't need any extra anti-inflammatories for the 24 hour process. So they refrain from the drugs. We also need to make sure they refrain from uh, certain supplementations that could be counterintuitive for them, uh, enhancing that healing process. So you know, a lot of these guys get used to doing the same thing over and over again, but, you know, staying on top of it with the medical staff is important because when these things come about that, you know, all right, we need to make sure that they stop taking X, Y, and Z for, you know, 24 hours, 40 hours, 72 hours, whatever it is, like we need to communicate to that athlete just so they know. Yeah. I mean, what a fascinating sport. I mean, you have so many different somatotypes in one team that you've got guys, if they're injured, might gain 30 pounds and you've got another guy might <laughs> lose 20 pounds and you've got to be... You know, the logistics side of things is something that's got to be running smoothly, which obviously you've got your, you've got all sorted out there, but it is a lot of players, isn't it, to manage? And, you know, one of the things in the in-season that I see now I'm curious around is obviously the Thursday night games, because we don't tend <laughs> to think of a compressed schedule as sort of 96 hours between games, but you could have a Sunday night game and a Thursday night game. And that's, you know, in the NFL, uh, is is not a lot of time, is it? Are, are there certain strategies in a compressed window that, become more pronounced in terms of you know the carbohydrate fueling or bringing on board more supplemental uh, support for exercise induced muscle damage or inflammation some of the things that you touched on before yeah and we've had a few of those games over the past couple of years and they they are tough and the players know about it too and obviously the coaches from a scheduling perspective they're very aware of it and you know, i know a lot of our players aren't fans of it because you know there's the thought process if you've got that much time cut off between between games so it's not full seven days now it's it's only four that there's an increase in injury risk and i think they've run the numbers from all of the games and everything and i think it's actually pretty similar uh, so i think a lot of the teams are are doing a lot on the front end just to make sure that you know these players are getting back up to par so i'll start thinking about that that sunday if we play thursday i'll start thinking about sunday and like all right what are we doing post game hopefully it's a home game because that makes things a lot easier Mm-hmm. instead of traveling you know if you've tra- played sunday you travel from the west coast back to the east coast and then you play thursday that would be just 
horrible, really. It's but, tough. You know, the, the schedule makers don't think of it in terms of performance and recovery standpoint. So I, usually that menu leading up to that week would just be a lot of their favorite items that are high in carb. Whether you know it might be higher in calories is fine just because they have to recover from Sunday but also be prepared for Thursday. So it pretty much just eliminates that rest day in between. But obviously workloads will be managed appropriately. And our head coach does a fantastic job with that. He's very knowledgeable about that. So we don't necessarily have to worry too much about it. It's just, one, just getting that stigma out of their brain about them being grumpy and disgruntled that they have to play a Sunday, Thursday. And two, just harping on them like, all right, we need fluids, we need electrolytes, we need to replenish muscle glycogen, get enough antioxidants in, make sure you guys get your protein in too. Uh, so there, it, it, nothing really changes minus taking away a day or two. So the thought process of how we structure those meals and what we provide from a functional food standpoint, supplementation standpoint, is still the same. There's just, there's definitely a lot more emphasis about it and a sense of urgency because, you know, that turnaround time is so short. So a guy who might just be lazy on Monday evening and take it easy Tuesday because he has that off can't do those same things. So they need to make sure that they're continually moving when they come back in the building on Monday and, you know, they're rehydrating, they're replenishing everything that they had lost from the game to get ready for Thursday. That's terrific. And obviously one of the themes here is around mindset and emotions and building player buy-in. So I'm curious, Pratik, for yourself as a practitioner, what are, what are some of the biggest hurdles for you? What are some of the biggest challenges that, uh, you know, potentially people who aren't in the industry might think again, well, these are professional athletes, this strategy should be quite straightforward, but you know, in a real world scenario, you're actually still dealing with trying to achieve these goals or these things in your nutrition philosophy that you're having to uh, to lay out for the team. Yeah, I, th- I think you know a couple pop at the top of mind. One is just having enough time to reach each player. You know, it, gone are the days of where we're going to sit in my office and we're going to go through a thorough nutritional assessment and talk for. 45 to 60 minutes and go through hand food models and you know we'll drop a plan like these guys need information as soon as they can because if i can't provide it do an informal meeting with them and kind of problem solve what's going on you know five minutes or less then they're going to walk out the door and i lose a day so that that's a difficult thing is trying to make sure that those higher priority players either they need more attention because of the data we have on them shows that we just need to make sure that that person's more compliant or things are going on from an injury perspective or a really high player loading and we're expecting this person to play or we're thin at a certain position and we know we only have a, sh- a small handful of guys that are going to be getting all the reps. So it's really prioritizing that and then finding that time and then just really hitting them with the information. And the next is hopefully them being very open to the information, knowing that every every player will tell you, yeah, nutrition is important, but in the back of their minds, are they just nodding their head and saying it because they've been told that their whole lives and they're getting it from every angle. But some have gone their entire careers, you know, kind of just been one foot in, one foot out in terms of nutrition recovery and have gotten away with it. So it's kind of identifying those players and figuring out, all right, how do I educate them or how do I get this information across to them so that they care about it? Because they're getting pulled in so many different directions mm-hmm. in the building. I mean, the medical staff is talking to them. Strength conditioning staff, us, we're talking to them. And I'm also providing them with some nutritional tidbits. You've got community relations. You've got PR. You've got the GM, the head coach, the position coach, their wife, girlfriend, kids, 
So, you know, I early in my career, I used to get frustrated and mad when, you know, we'd have a good conversation with an athlete. It was good. We had good one-on-one talks and everything was great. Put together these goals. And then the next day, they're not doing what I thought was crystal clear. And so, you know, you take a step back and realize that they're, they're in it in the moment because they want it at that time right there in the moment. And then something could just come up, whether it's they got cursed out by their coach or something's going on back home or they're, you know, they've got a bad grade on a test or, you know, they, their car got broken into something along the lines and then their mind just completely goes away from nutrition. So it's kind of just, I think that's one of the reasons why at the college and pro level, we have all these resources. We kind of have to put it in front of them because I mean, you know, it's this modern day social media generation where 90% of the time their thoughts are on, you know, their phone or what's going on, you know, in their bank account and not necessarily, oh, it's, you know, two hours before practice. I need to start making sure I'm getting adequate carbohydrate and then I start hydrating and this and that. So and that, that's the other tough thing. I think what makes the job difficult, but also kind of fun and challenging is just trying to be as creative as possible with understanding who this person is. How do they, how do they like to learn and how much do I need to push them or how much do I need to do for them? You know, a lot of guys are just tell me what to do and I can do it. A lot of guys are like, show me what to do and, you know, kind of remind me or others are like, I don't really care. But if you kind of, if you're there and it's there, I'll do it. Yeah, it's uh, such a great point. I mean, that relationship so important and then athletes being human. And like you mentioned, sometimes the nutrition for us is always number one. But for these guys, <laughs> for an athlete, there's a, there's other things that are more important in certain periods. And it's, it's you know, as you mentioned, whether it's the coach or whether it's, you know, something else that's going on and, uh, you know, it's it's amazing to be able to to get those touch points to build those relationships. I know our sports psych at uh, Canada Basketball, Peter Jensen, Doctor Peter Jensen. You know, he always talks about how you know ninety percent of the decisions that we make are based off of emotion. We'd <laughs> like them to be based off of logic, but even you know, even the best of us aren't. So I think that's uh, really really great stuff here, Pratik. Appreciate you carving out so much time today. Um, so thanks for for so much great information. And you know, where can people? stay connected with you and, and keep up with uh, what you're doing this season with the Giants. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not super active on social media, but I'd like to just put out different posts on Twitter and Instagram. So my, my Twitter handle, I changed recently. It's a critique X Patel. And then my LinkedIn is, I mean, I guess you could probably punch in my name and see my, you know, ugly mugshot there. <laughs> but you know, the goal is to just share different experiences that I've had the opportunity to learn whether it's by chance I made the right uh, decision and it worked out or things that I tried and didn't work out and failed on. But I think, you know, I try to put out a little bit different content than, oh, you need 30 to 40 grams of protein post-workout uh, just to give some different insights from a different perspective. Amazing. Well, listen, I appreciate the insights that you share. I appreciate you coming on today and uh, best of luck for you guys this season. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Bose Performance Podcast. If you enjoy the content, please consider subscribing on iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcasting platform. Show your support, and it's also a tremendous help to the show and helps us to continue to attract high-quality guests. If you haven't heard, my new book, Peak, the new science of athletic performance that is revolutionizing sports, is out. And I'm pleased to announce we actually hit the Amazon bestseller list in Canada and in the U.S. in the sports medicine physical medicine and rehab and holistic medicine categories. So you can find out more info on that and the expert insights at athleteevolution.org. That's 
AtomEvolution.org. And of course, you can pick up a copy on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Chapters Indigo, Waterstones, or your local booksellers. Awesome. If you have any questions or want to leave a comment on today's episode, you can reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Dr. Bubs. And thanks again, folks, for listening, and we'll see you all next week with more expert insights. The Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcasts.